sunshine. This is very good. To fear God is the beginning of wisdom. Well said. Thank you. Good, good. Yes, sir. Augustine, welcome to Texas. This is good. It's a motivation to love him to such an extent that, though you may, you do not want to disappoint him. Very well said. Very well said. Yes, sir. It's obedience. You, you have it in one word, isn't it? It's, 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 it's obedience. We can't say we're God-fearers if we're doing our own thing. So now I ask you another question as we transition. If that's what it means to fear God, could you please tell me, um, why don't we? Not necessarily one seated here, unless you want to offer yourself. I'm talking about as a human condition. What is it in us? Why don't we do these things you said? Is, okay, so Charlie makes it simple. Sin, which indwells us. Anything? Ma'am? The specific sin of self-centeredness. It's a way of saying I would be God and therefore not bow before the living God. Yeah, yeah, good. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's well said. We don't want to decrease that he might increase. It's a very prideful thing. Charlie? Well said. Don't you're going to do that now in the class? <laughs> okay, so I ask you this question. Uh, we spoke about what it is to fear God. We spoke about some of the reasons why we do not. If God is not the one who is feared, then what are substitutes? If we're not doing these things, rendering these things reference to God, then who might we be rendering them to? What are substitutes for this kind of focus in the pit? Miss Sue? Idols. By the way, here is Sue Foshi back with us for a brief visit from Mississippi uh, to be at MD Anderson tomorrow. And though we wish you were here for different reasons, always a wonderful blessing to see you. Mississippi. Is that part of the United States? <laughs> oh, as of yesterday. Okay, I wasn't sure. So Miss Sue sums it up. If we're not rendering these things to the living God, then we are committing the sin of idolatry. Now I want to stop there just for a second uh, because you have summed up in a wonderful way the essence of Jeremiah chapter 10. So you will see what emerges from the text is very consistent with, with what has emerged already in our class. Idolatry. So take a look with me. Jeremiah chapter uh, 10, if you don't mind. Written centuries ago, relevant today, nonetheless. 
Jeremiah 10, verse 1, Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, do not learn the way of the nations. You'll see in the context, it's the way of idolatry. Do not do that. Be God-fearing. Don't commit the sin of idolatry. Do not be terrified by the signs of the heavens, although the nations are terrified by them. Could you please help me? What is in view here when Jeremiah says, makes reference to this phrase, the signs of the heavens? What does he... Who, who said astrology? Absolutely correct, brother. Astrology. Now listen, Israel's about to be carried off into bondage by what nation? Babylon. By the way, the uh, Babylon, ancient Babylon, would be located in what modern-day country? Iraq. You got it. You got it. You got it. You got it. So, so the Babylonians are coming, and they were known astrologers. So they would look to the signs in the heavens, a meteor, a comet, a constellation, a star, a moon, a planet, the signs in the heavens. And the Babylonians would try to discern from it their future. They would try to get the heartbeat of the gods. Are the gods with us? Are the fates with us? What does our destiny hold? We look and we see the whimsical nature of the gods manifested through the signs of the heavens. We fear, we see lightning. Who? The gods are displeased with us. We bow before these things. And God, the living one, says, don't do that. He says, don't fear the things. Fear the one who put the things there. God said, moon, stars, planets, constellation, be. And they were and are. And God did those things for the benefit of humankind. Here's the earth, formless and void, inhospitable, uninhabitable. God forms it and fills it. So he gives us these things for seasonal change and for rain and for sustenance and for day and for night and all the rest. And he says, I give you these so that the world in which you live can sustain you. But you don't bow uh, before the creation. You bow before the creator. Amen. To be God-fearing is to start with the starting point. In the beginning, God. Not matter, not the stars, not the meteors, not the... No, in the beginning, God... Nothing else has an existence apart from him, but he alone is pre-existent and self-generated. Nobody began God. God always was and shall be. Everything else has a starting point by his grace. So he says, don't commit the sin of idolatry. You know what he's saying? You're going to be carried off into Babylonian captivity, but even there you can fear me. This is a life circumstances I send to discipline and correct you. I'm judging you for your waywardness. I'm correcting you. But while there, don't be like the other nations. Don't bow. Don't fear. Don't tremble. 
Don't submit. Don't yield to the things. See these things as me being behind it all and bow before me. So it goes on, verse 3, for the customs of the peoples are delusion. See, it is wood cut from the forest, the work of the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails, with hammers, so that it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber, your Bible might say melon field, are they. They cannot speak. They have to be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm, nor they can, nor can they do any good. See if you get this picture. A person steps up, chops down a tree. Another person comes forward, then takes the tree, works it so as to give it its shape and its form. Then still yet another comes forward and covers it with silver and gold. Someone else then has a role. He fastens this thing to a base so that it doesn't fall. Then another person comes on board, picks it up, and carries it to its final destination. It has to be carried, put in place, because it is lifeless. In fact, I love this metaphor, it's as lifeless as a scarecrow in a cucumber field. It cannot speak to its followers, and therefore it has no potential to impart anything of value to them. It can't speak, it can't walk, and therefore God says... Do not fear them. They can do no harm. They cannot harm the one who ignores it, nor can they do any good. They cannot benefit anyone who bows before it. They're dead wood. Instead of carrying the one who worships it, it must be carried by the one who worships it. So, a delusion. How does it apply today? Probably nobody here is bowing before a wooden ceramic image or anything like that. So therefore, what is the relevance of this text to us today? Is it possible for us today to commit the sin of idolatry? What is it? What does it look like? Can you tell me, how do we do that then? Yes. Ah, so possessions. Wow, that's the American way, huh? So possessions might be, I guess, I guess if, if possessions become a substitute for the one who came to possess us, it could be just as much an idol as worshiping this scarecrow in the cucumber field. Charlie? Yeah. Yeah. Money. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Could you say it again? What, uh, like what you said, anything exalted above Christ. Brother Augustine, did you have your hand up? Yes, sir. No other God. Look, it's not necessarily something that is inherently evil, but if it takes the place of God. Uh, yes, ma'am. Use of time. Yes, yes, yes. The elect, 
the undue investment in all the electronic capabilities we have today, it can become a, it could be a God substitute. Yeah, well said. Yes, ma'am. The, oh, entertainment. Okay, yeah, because you're getting real close to home here. Be careful. Entertainment. No problem recreating, but it could become, it could become a substitute for our needs being met by Almighty God. Charlie? Government. Uh, the government. We could lean a little too strongly on, uh, on, on government as a God substitute. Billy? Whoa, tradition, absolutely. Not this is anything inherently wrong with it, but it could if it supplants Almighty God. So, folks, let me let me mention to you. That, yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's good. No question. We can understand our science and somehow it surpasses the need for even having a Well said. Uh, even our so-called scientific understanding of origins, to the extent that it is contrary to the biblical record, is definitely a form of idolatry. Yes. So, so, so let, me, let me press on here. I just want you to see, and of course you do, uh, that it is possible even for us to commit the sin of idolatry today, uh, to affix our affection and attention on anything or anyone in place of God is a form of idolatry, you see? So even we believers can commit it. Therefore, we should pay attention uh, to the text. And so... It goes on here, in, uh, and Jeremiah in verse 6 is going to give us a bit of an approach to our tendency to substitute for God false gods. Verse 6, there is none like you. There it is. This is a quite a helpful exercise, even for a Christian. Be regularly reminding yourself that God is categorically different. He's... Not only the biggest, he is the best. Uh, we want to meet each other's needs. Relationships uh, are, are given by God. But be very careful, you, I, that we don't look too much to relationships to meet our fundamental needs in place of God. Uh, he's categorically different. There is, in fact, uh, none like you, Jeremiah says, you are great and great is your name in might. Just when you find yourself being a little too attached to a person, to a thing, to a concept, to a job, to a relationship, to a possession, to whatever, uh, remember, oh, God, you are the most high. You are transcend, you transcend all of these things. And I'm invited into a relationship with you, transcendent God. I bow, I bypass all the rest and I bow before you. And then this wonderful rhetorical question, verse seven, who would not fear you, O king 
of the nations. It's an interesting world situation in which we live. We have the benefit and burden of being in touch with what's going on at any given time with what's happening all over the world. So we know what's happening in Greece. (laughs) At the same time, we know what's happening, say, in Japan. It's amazing because of electronics and the news and all the rest. The burden of it all is that it comes at us very quickly, all that's happening. And we can commit the sin of idolatry by giving too much deference to circumstances. We can cave in under the rather unsettling, sometimes oppressive circumstances our sin-sick world finds itself in. Be careful. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? You say, he has transcended the international reality. He's the king of all the nations. I happen to know him by name. Do you? You see, so let's let's just march into the throne room and show deference to him more than to the news reports. Indeed, it is your due for among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Could I offer you this just when you find yourself going down a little bit because of things in life that we all experience? You might ask yourself, am I yielding emotionally too much to it? Should I stop and instead give God his due? Who would not Fear that you said it right. Who would not respect? Who would not show reverence? Who would not focus? Who would not be accountable to you, O God, King of the nations? Indeed, it is your due. I didn't say ignore the realities that face us. I didn't say that. I just said don't worship them. To worship is to yield, to bow, to surrender the joy and peace which we have from Christ Jesus to something called life's circumstances. See, that would be a little bit like idolatry. That would mean living God. I can't believe you. I have to pay attention to these realities. So so be very careful about this. Verse 8, they are altogether, don't you like this graphic language, stupid and foolish in their discipline of delusion. Their idol is wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz, the work of a craftsman and of the hands of a goldsmith. Violet and purple are their clothing. They're all the work of skilled men. So, so you can take this thing fashioned by your own imagination, this God substitute, and you can even pretty it up by uh, putting on it imported gold and silver, and, and then you can clothe it in violet and purple, the colors of royalty, but it's still something you fashioned, you made, you came up with, you generated, you imagined. Therefore, it's the discipline of delusion. But the Lord is the true God. He's the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. At his wrath, the earth quakes. It's not an... He is the one before whom all of us will have to make due. Thus you shall say to them, verse 11, the gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish. 
So here's the rule of thumb, just to keep you, me, on track. If, if it didn't create the heavens and the earth, don't bow before it. <laughs> but it's the only one who did that. And God said, boom, and there was the heavens and the earth. So we bow before that one because there is none like that one. By the way, see that verse 11? I want to ask you a question. What is the principal language, original language, in which the Old Testament is given to us? Hebrew, correct. That's why when there's an exception to that rule, we take note. Verse 11 is the only verse in all of Jeremiah, not in Hebrew, but in Aramaic. Have any idea why? Want to take a shot at it? I'll tell you why. Aramaic was the language of tradesmen, those who were skilled craftsmen, who did the woodwork, who made the idols. And Aramaic was the language the Babylonians spoke. It's as if God is saying through Jeremiah, everyone, the gods you are fashioning, that did not make the heaven and the earth. Those gods, your gods, your false gods are going to perish from the earth and under the heavens. You know, God is speaking the language of all people. That's what he's doing here. Verse 12. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding he stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there's a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he causes the clouds to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings out wind. Weather is an unbelievable weather. Uh, tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, floods, thunder, lightning, weather. Bow before the God who ordains those powerful elements in the atmosphere. Bow. So today I got up. We're having baptism at the cross uh, later today. A uh, number of people once again. But then I wanted to check out the weather, a little concerned. Oh, no. W uh, rain is in the forecast. Oh, no. And then I realized, oh, you know, kind of a little bit of bowing before the wrong thing, as if God needs to hear the weather report? <laughs> he makes the weather. So then I say, oh, God, a little bit of idolatry there. I'm showing more deference to what the weather is going to happen to uh, um, accidentally be than to you who order the universe and, and who and who is behind weather. So instead I said, God, I, we, I think, would prefer good weather for the baptism. So that's what I asked for. You could do it. You're the God of weather. On the other hand, your will be done. You may have a better idea. You may want us all getting wet, not just the folks. <laughs> so can you see how subtle is this deal of transferring affection and attention even for, I'm a believer, even for a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I could, uh, I could give more deference to what is arbitrarily going to happen. I gotta tune into Channel 2 News to see what the meteorologist is gonna tell me about the future. No! That's idolatry. 
I don't have to do anything like that. I could say, ah, I am possessed by the one who speaks and there is rain and then who says, stop, and the rain stops. So we bow before that one, see? Verse 14, every man is stupid. No, we should just stop there. What did you learn in church today? You're stupid. Devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his molten images are deceitful. There's no breath in them. In other words, there'll come a time when everyone will realize our dependence on anyone or anything other than God will be in vain. They're worthless, a work of mockery. In the time of their punishment, they'll perish. Now get this. The portion of Jacob, that's another reference to Israel. The portion of Jacob is not like these. A portion, when it says the portion of Israel, it means what belongs to Israel. If it's your portion, it's something that belongs to you. So the portion of Jacob is not like these. Like what? Is not like the gods of the Babylonians and idol worshipers. No. The one Israel is connected to is not like these. In fact, for the maker of all is he. Israel's portion is not a god of wood or stone or anything like this. No, Israel's portion is not like these. He's the maker of all. Not only does Israel have God, this maker, as her portion, but that maker uh, retains a connection to Israel. Notice, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Now, at the risk of continuing to beat this drum, I have to beat it because the Bible continually shows us God's response to his original covenant people, the Jews. I have to beat it because God beats the drum all the time. Does he favor them over anyone else? No, may it never be. He uses them as an illustration of how he responds to sinful people like you and me. He made a promise to Israel. Israel sinned and God retains the promise. He made a covenant with you, the new covenant. You sinned, but God will keep you in the fold. Just as he was with Israel, so too with you. So can you see what's going on here? So, so here's what I'm trying to say. Be very, very careful, folks, that you are rightly aligned with God with reference to his response to Israel. The international community is once again aligning against Israel. It's not a political deal. It's a spiritual deal. It's a Bible deal. There's no inherent worth or value in Israel. Don't get me wrong. It's the connection which the maker of all made with her. Her portion is him. His portion is her. Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. When you ask Israel, the tribe of his inheritance, to give up her land... You have to give account to the God who gave her that land. Be careful. Be careful. So that's verse 16. 17, pick up your bundle from the ground, you who dwell under siege. For thus says the Lord, I'm slinging out the inhabitants of the land. Look, he's in covenant with her. 
she has him as her God. He has her as his tribe. But that doesn't mean he looks away when she sins. On the contrary, she's going off into Babylonian captivity because of her sin. He loves her, but he will discipline her because he hates sin in her. And he uses the metaphor here of someone with a slingshot. Boom! I'm going to cast you out of the sling just like so many stones is what it says. Now, verse 19, Jeremiah uh, is sort of um, uh, stating in prayer a collective prayer on behalf of the people. Verse 19, woe is me because of my injury. My wound is incurable. But I said, truly, this is a sickness and I must bear it. My tent is destroyed. All my ropes are broken. The city is likened to a tent which is torn down. My sons have gone from me and are no more. There's no one to stretch out my tent again or set up my curtains. Now get this. For the shepherds, shepherds are leaders. For the leaders, which leaders? Well, all of Israel's leaders, political and religious. For the political and religious leaders have become stupid. There's the word again. What does that mean? It does not mean intellectual deficit. It means moral deficit. When you see the word wisdom in the Bible, it doesn't mean IQ or college degree. It means skill in living because you seek the giver of life. If you do not seek the giver of life as you live life, you become unwise, stupid, morally so. Here's the indictment. Israel's political and spiritual leaders are morally deficient. Why? They have not sought the Lord. It doesn't say it's because they didn't go to Harvard or Yale or whatever. It says, no, the real problem is not an intellectual deficit. It's because they have not sought the Lord. What's the consequence? Therefore, they've not prospered and all their flock is scattered. Now, folks, everyone is responsible for fearing God, but I think there's a greater onus of responsibility put on leaders of the people by God who appointed the leaders to shepherd the people. Did you know government is God's idea? He appointed government as his agency to protect the citizenry and to further moral and ethical values which represent his character. When leaders, political or religious, become stupid in this sense, unwise, because they're not seeking the Lord, then what happens, instead of the flock being prospered by the leadership, they're scattered. Welcome to the world. Welcome to the real world. So when the Bible says pray for leaders, here's a good thing to pray. Oh God, I pray that this leader or that leader seek you so as to lead us with wisdom. That's what we pray. You see? So anyway, that's what it says now. Verse 22, the sound of a report. Behold, it comes. Great commotion from the land of the north to make the cities of Judah a desolation. I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in man who walks to direct his steps. That means 
You cannot be your own God. Don't worship yourself. You can't direct your own steps. Your way is not within you. You're not self-generated. The very next breath you take is given by the giver of life. Bow before him. Don't be so self-sufficient. Verse 24, correct me. He's praying on behalf of the people, O Lord, but with justice, not with anger, or you'll bring me to nothing. Look, Israel, God's covenant people, sinful people, are going to be disciplined by God. Jeremiah welcomes it. Correct us. We've gone astray. But he's saying, let your correction deliver us, not destroy us. Let it perfect us. Let us not perish under it. If you discipline us with justice, we will emerge better. But if you do so out of your anger, we will perish. This is a good thing to pray for the United States of America. Oh, God, don't let us be. Intervene mercifully. Straighten us out. Turn our hearts to you for sure. Oh, God, if you discipline us purely out of your anger, which is legitimate, we will all perish. Do so instead in keeping with your corrective justice, but not out of your unbridled anger. Can you see it? Verse 25, last verse, pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you and on the families that do not call your name. I guess you wonder if you can pray something like that. Well, Jeremiah did. Pour out ultimately, God. Don't destroy us. But if there be nations that don't know you, families of people groups refusing to call on your name, Jeremiah says, then pour out your wrath on them, for they have consumed Jacob. Now, I'm back to this point again. It seems to me a test case of where you and I stand with God and how he will respond to us is what our response to Jacob is. I'm putting all my eggs in one basket here. Israel is a nation like none other, not because of inherent value or worth. I cannot emphasize that enough. On the contrary, God said, I have chosen you as a people through whom I will manifest my my glory. He does it best through the worst people group on earth, not the best. So I'm not trying to get anyone to worship Jews. On the contrary, entrusted with more privilege of a spiritual kind than any people group on earth, and they have my people have squandered it. But God says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. God said, I'll purify you. I'll still be glorified through you. God says, I'll bring forth a faithful remnant. And not only that, a Messiah shall come from you. God said, I will establish you in the land. In fact, I will even rule you out of a temple to be reconstructed in the land. Can you see how theologically different Israel is from any other nation because of God's attention to it? And so it says here, Jeremiah says, Judge the nations who have devoured her. They have devoured him and consumed him and have laid waste his habitation. And I want to tell you, Jeremiah's prayer was answered. Look, look, look. Raise your hand. When was the last time you had a conversation with a Babylonian? 
Run into any Babylonians on the way to church today? God, in fact, did, after his discipline, harsh discipline of Israel in exile in Babylon, after 70 years, he did bring Israel back to the land. And where is Israel today but back in the land? Nazis have come and gone. Philistines have come and gone. Babylonians have come and gone. But Israel is back in the land after thousands of years being outside of the land. No people group on earth has ever had that happen. 1948, the modern state of Israel was reestablished. You know, Jewish people can pat themselves on the shoulders all they want. Baloney. It's because God keeps his word. We don't worship Jewish people. We don't worship any people. We worship the God of Israel, for sure. And so they're back in the land, but where's the, where are the Babylonians? Sodom Hussein wanted to resurrect the glory of ancient Babylon. Remember the hanging gardens of Babylon? All this? Where is Sodom Hussein? But my people are back in the land. Explain that to me. God has made a promise to Israel. Why is that important to you? Because he made a promise to you too. He said, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. You said, I believe that. Now you need to know if God's going to keep his word. You need to know if your faith in Jesus is going to bring you into the promised land. And he gave a great illustration. He said, look at how I respond to Israel. They're in their promised land. It's just a physical thing. It's just, don't get me wrong. That's the point. It points to our greater spiritual promised land. So the next time you doubt, oh God, I sinned, I did this, I did that, now uh, you've rejected me, I want you to think of Israel. Oh, I think he'll discipline you and me. He says, those who I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He said, oh, no, no, no. You may turn from me, but I shall never turn from you. And here's the proof. Look how I respond to Israel. Can you see how important it is? How important it is? So, so I think we're finding an interesting realignment of the nations today, once again, as over against uh, Israel. These things are going to come. God told us about it in advance. I would just caution you, don't be part of it. There'll be judgment upon those who devour Jacob. It's always been the case. It always will be. As there will be judgment upon those who devour Christians. You care about your children. You can't outcare the father's care for his kids. <laughs> he cares about those who are his and will take care of them. Okay. Yes, Miss March, please. Oh, that's good. Miss Marjorie said, we're commanded in the Bible to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and uh, indicated, uh, pray that they may be saved. By the way, that's what it means to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It doesn't mean political peace. Not going to happen, my dear sister, this side of heaven. There's peace when Jesus rules and reigns in a person's heart. Then there's peace. So we want to pray that that would, that would happen. That's exact. that's what we're commanded to do. 
Well, folks, blessings to you. Next week, if the Lord doesn't come, Brother Chuck will. (laughs) And we will press on, Lord willing, in Jeremiah. And we bow before you, King of kings, ruler of the nations, maker of heaven and earth, almighty God, most high God, you who have no beginning nor and all-knowing and all-powerful God, sovereign, taken by surprise by no one, you who work things according to the counsel of your own will, rock upon whom we stand, and great Redeemer, Savior, you who've come not to destroy but to save, uh, you, transcendent and yet imminent, Emmanuel, God with us, enfleshed, so that we who are fleshly can have a point of contact and connection. You who came, suffered, died, rose up from the last enemy, death, and is going to return again. It is to you and you alone that we bow our knees. You are the all-sufficient one and can make us to be satisfied. Oh, God, forgive us that we look for satisfaction in all the wrong places. It is the discipline of delusion. You stand categorically apart. It's simple. We shall bow before the one and only God who is the maker of heaven and earth. It's you, Lord Jesus. This we pray in your name. Amen. Well, God bless you, followers of the King. See you next time.